Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services, Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. Hey, Victory. Hope you're having an amazing service today. We love you so much, and now you're in for a treat. The speaker you're about to hear today has made an incredible impact on my life, on our church, on the world. In fact, she and my father started our church in 1981, and God has done crazy awesome things through her life. To me, she is the definition of perseverance, endurance. She is a hero to so many people. She's written incredible books that have gone around the world, written amazing worship songs. Would you give it up with me today and honor our founding pastor, Sharon Doherty? Come on! Praise God! Woohoo! Well, my late husband used to say, are we happy campers? Yes, we are, because we've got Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. While you're standing, some of you are seated, but if you want to stand back up, let's pray for our nation. As we think about this week being uh, our 4th of July week, and we think about our nation was founded upon people who believed in the Bible and believed in Jesus Christ and, and started this nation with a foundation upon the Word of God. And yes, there was some, there's always been some bad people through the years, but there's been a lot of good people too. And those people came to America because they wanted freedom of worship. That was the whole reason those colonists came here. And so they came here and then, you know, there was an oppression from the, uh, the oversight of Britain and they knew that they couldn't seem to have a voice in the in the Britain government and so they they said well we you know we need a voice and and they wouldn't give them any voice and they kept raising their taxes and raising their taxes and the people couldn't they you know it was oppressive they couldn't keep up with it they they needed to be able to have their own provisions as well and so anyway they said we're gonna have to declare our independence and they knew when they were going to declare that independence that it was going to mean war and here they were, just this little group of people compared to the massive army of Britain. And yet, God's hand was upon that time where they declared their freedom and their trust in God. And during that time, you know, God turned everything. I mean, he, he helped them. His providence helped them to win freedom as a country. Then they established a government based upon biblical moral principles of God's Word and so you know we have so much to thank God for but through the years there have been various wars there have been various things that have happened in our through our in our country as well as beyond our country but we've stood for freedom and this this week when we think about it we need to thank God for our freedom thank God for the military how many of you are military here today you are veterans or you've served in the military are serving right now. Thank you. Thank you for all of our military. I'm so grateful because they have stood for our nation's freedom. They fought for it. They have uh, given themselves for it, given their lives, families that have stood as well. And we thank you. But this morning we want to pray. And so Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for this nation, Lord, to experience a great spiritual awakening. Lord, from coast to coast, state to state, we believe the Lord there's rumblings, there's stirrings even right now that Lord, once again, we're there. There where you can move by your spirit across our land. Lord, we pray for our president, President Trump. We're grateful, Father, that you have positioned him to turn our nation in a direction that it needs to turn. Life for the unborn child. Lord, standing with Israel, standing, Lord, for what is right. Lord, we pray today that you would help him, give him wisdom 
And we pray for all of those that are around and Vice President Pence and, and the cabinet members and the Congress, Lord, and our Senate. You said, Lord, that this, this nation would be a republic by the people for the people. So, Father, we pray that you would help them to remember what they're in that position for. It's for the people, for the people to represent our desires, our needs, Father, as a nation. And, Lord, we pray today that you would deliver us from attacks from the outside as well as attacks from the inside. We bind Satan's plots and plans, and we loose right now the help of heaven. Heaven, help us. Lord, forgive us where our nation made wrong decisions and wrong turns. Forgive us where we removed your, you, Lord, out of our public schools, where we removed, Lord, Bible reading, where we removed prayer and Ten Commandments being hung in our public uh, places, Lord. I pray, forgive us where we tried to ignore you. And Lord, help us to once again return. Return to righteousness. You said righteousness exalts the nation. We pray that you would help us return to righteousness. Help us to return to the fear of the Lord. Help us to return, Lord, back to you. We pray, forgive us of our sin. And Lord, we turn to you with all of our hearts today and we pray for your divine intervention, that you would deliver us from those who are wicked. Lord, and you would help us, Father, to rise up in the truth of your word. Jesus, today, we choose to be people that stand for truth, the truth of the word of God. We choose to be people, Lord, that will hear your voice and follow your lead. And today, Lord, I pray your blessing upon each one here. As we, Lord, hear your voice, help us to obey you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, as you're being seated, I want to share a song with you uh, in dedication to this week's Declaration of Independence. I want to just share this song. It's a prayer that was written by a Jewish immigrant, Irving Berlin, who came to our country years ago. And he wrote this song that became a nation's, our nation's favorite, really. Where the storm clouds gather Far across the sea Let us pledge allegiance to a land that's still free and let us all be grateful for this land so fair as we lift our voices in this solemn
God bless America. You know, I've been to many countries in my life sharing the gospel message. There's no place like this country. I remember about three years ago, I was in Russia, and uh, a Russian pastor shared with me. He said, you know, we have freedom here to vote in Russia, but he said the government then decides who we vote for. And you know what? We, we as a country, we are very grateful. We're very blessed that we can vote and that we can vote in people to represent us, to represent our values. And um, that's a privilege. That's a privilege. But also, it's a privilege for us that, you know, any of you, any of us could run for office. Yeah, yeah, we could, any of us. We don't have to be born into a certain family in certain countries, you know. You have to be born into a certain family to be able to be in leadership. But we, we're so great. We have such a wonderful country. We do. And many times, we only see the negatives. You know what? I've seen people through the years that all they can see in their marriage is the negatives. And they can't ever, ever see any positives. And so they're negative people. You know, there's, sometimes people get blinders. And they forget the, the, the benefits and the things that we do have that many times we just are not, we're not grateful enough. So I am grateful. I am so grateful for this land that I live in. I'm grateful for those that paid the price for it. Praise God. A couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about what I was going to be sharing with you today. And I heard in my spirit truth for a nation, truth for our nation. And you know, when it comes to truth, many times in our society today, people have this feeling there is no absolute truths. There's no absolute truths. But you know what? Today, I'm going to help you see that there is an absolute truth. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to help you to see that. In fact, before I even get started, do you know there are certain you know, the people that say there's no absolute truths, there are certain truths that they forget that they consider absolute. Could you hand me that, AJ? This right here is a ruler. It's a yardstick, and it's got inches on it. Do you know the same people that say there's no absolute truth? They believe this is correct. They believe this is truth because they measure by it. They use it to measure by. You know, and, and yet... What if I was to say to you, well, we don't know if that's really a full inch or if that's less than an inch. Who really knows for sure if, if this yardstick is really, really for sure the truth? Nobody ever says that. We use these. We use this for measurement. We believe it's absolute. Another thing we believe is absolute is compass. North, south, east, and west. Somebody, this is a little toy compass that I got for my grandkids. But anyway, uh, we got one I think they're going to put on the screen. But a compass helps us to determine where we are, north, south, east, or west. And if somebody is out in the woods or they're out in an area where they don't, or they're not familiar with and they have a compass, they're looking to determine which way is north, which way is south, which is east and west. What if somebody said to them, well, how do you know that compass is real? If that's really true. I mean, how do you know for sure your compass is really pointing north? Or if it's really pointing south? Folks, if you don't know for sure that compass is absolute truth, you're lost. <laughs> you are in the woods and you are lost. And you know what? That's exactly what many in our country are today. They're lost. Because they've refused absolute truth. I was thinking when he handed me that, they handed me that, that uh, ruler in, in the first service, 830 service, and I didn't realize they'd handed it to me. It was on the floor. And I said, would somebody please hand me my yardstick? And they said, it's right under your feet. And it reminded me of a story. <laughs> I picked it up to use it. But years back, and when we were over at Maybe Center on one occasion, and, and I was leading worship, and my husband stepped up right in the second song, and I thought, Man, 
I just got started. I'm just really into this. And he's, he's already stepping up, you know. And, and so I, he says, I just feel we all need to just take hands together and let's pray. Let's pray in the Spirit. And he says to me, there's something on the floor. And he starts praying, you know. I'm thinking, something on the floor. I look down. It was my shoulder pad. Oh, my word. I, 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 went, I reached down. I grabbed it in my fist and, you know, wadded it up. Oh, praise you, Jesus. <laughs> Right? Well, we would always bus in people from Wings of Freedom and from the jail. Um, there was a pl place that they would bus in these people that uh, for the church services. And a lot of these guys would meet their girlfriends, you know, at church. But anyway, there was two rows of them. And so that those two rows, they never closed their eyes for prayer for anything. They watched the, everything around them, you know, because we were a different church. And so anyway... When I, I look, you know, I'm praying, I look, and I see all of their eyes are just watching me. <laughs> so, anyway, we finish worship and prayer, and I go to sit, sit down. I said to Bill Joy, I said, I need to tell people that was my shoulder pad. He says, you are not saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had our little moments of conversations during, during those years. <laughs> Well, after church was over with, I walked outside, and there's a bus of those people, and they're going back to their places that they were from, and so they're all looking at me. I walked down and said, I just want y'all to know it was my shoulder pad, and they all got real tickled, but you know what? Those shoulder pads were called stay put shoulder pads, and they did not stay put. I had other occasions where things happened, but anyway... I had danced all around it like that ruler. I'd kind of danced all around it in worship, didn't even know it was down there. Trudy Edwards was saying, I was trying to get your attention the whole time, but you weren't looking at me. I said, I know I had my eyes closed worshiping. But anyway, all right. Truth for a nation. God is wanting us to understand there is an absolute truth, and it's the Word of God. The Word of God. I want us to turn to John chapter 18, verse 37. John 18, 37, yay, yeah, we like the word. Jesus had been brought before Pilate and was being tried, and Pilate said to him, so are you a king then? And Jesus said, well, you rightly, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You know, people that want truth, people that desire the Word of God as truth, they're going to hear the voice of Jesus. People that don't want truth, they don't want to listen to the voice of Jesus. And yet, Jesus said, this is the reason I came into the world, so that I could bear witness, I could testify to what is truth. And then Pilate said, well, what is truth? What is truth? And before Jesus could answer him, Pilate turned and walked away. He didn't even give Jesus a chance to, to say what truth is. You see, Pilate was aware of philosophers of that time. Philosophy's been around a long time. I mean, men would sit around and philosophize way back there, you know, and their own ideas, what they thought was truth. There was Plato. There was uh, Stoicism, Zeno with Stoicism and, and uh Gnosticism back then. And so they would all talk their opinions of what truth really was. So Plato, I mean, excuse me, so Pilate, Pilate was aware of philosophy. And so that's why he said, well, what is truth anyway? Well, I'll tell you, Jesus had already said this in John chapter 8, 31 through 32. He said, if you will continue in my word, then you'll be my disciples indeed, and you will know truth and the truth will make you free. So Jesus told those that would listen to him that I, he, he was declaring, I have truth. I am truth. I have truth. If you'll just heed my words, you'll know truth, and that truth will free you. It will make you free. Right now in our country and in this society today, we have an uh, attitude that like I said earlier, there's no absolute truths. And so people say, well, truth is relative. 
Uh, it's called cultural relativism. And truth is relative to every individual. You know, what's truth to you may not be truth to somebody else. What's your moral values may not be somebody else's. So if your truth, though, if what's true to you, your values, if, if something you do affects somebody else and hurts somebody else, then which truth is correct? This is why God's word gives us a plumb line. It gives us a, a measurement. It shows us what is in line with it and what is not in line with it. But see, what happened was we, years and years ago, during the, from, 1400, from the 1400s to the 1700s, during that time frame was called the Renaissance period in Europe. And during that Renaissance period, there was one nation, particularly France, that decided they did not want any, uh, any more of this thing of God and uh, God's boundaries or, or the word of God keeping them uh, in, a, in a realm of, of uh, boundaries. And so they made a decision to embrace humanism, humanism. Now, humanism was that I become my own God. I decide what's right and wrong for me. And that I am the one that is in control here. Well, you know what? Humans make mistakes. And humans sometimes do wrong. And so if we believe that humans are gods, then we have really, we are really in trouble. And so, but that's when humanism began to start. And in fact, France at that time had a revolution to the point that they started killing priests, burning churches, and, and, and uh, destroying anything that made them feel like that there was some moral boundaries because in humanism, you don't want moral boundaries. You want freedom to do whatever you want to do in morality. In fact, if you want to just live with someone that you're not married to, then you can do it. It's okay. If you want to, you know, uh, embrace homosexuality or transgenderism, transgenderism, it's okay. You, you decide what is right for you. Folks, you know what humanism does? It creates confusion. It creates chaos. It also brings heartache and pain to many people. And so when people say, well, I should be my own boss. I should be my own God. I should determine what I believe and, and what is truth to me. Well, you're headed for trouble. You've lost your measurement. You've lost your compass. And so this is why God's word is our compass. It's our guide. It's our measurement that we bring everything back to, to determine, Lord, what is the right truth? What is right? And Jesus, Jesus gave us those instructions. He said, if you will not be conformed to this world, but you will, excuse me, that was Paul that said that, but Jesus also talked about uh, in a roundabout way and the fact of, you know, that we have to change our thinking. We have to change, have our hearts changed. But Paul said, if you don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds to this word of God, that you can prove what's the good, the good will of God, what's the perfect and acceptable will of God. And so we understand that we have to go back to what the Word of God says. Now, in, the, in America, what happened during that time of the, between 1400 and 1700, that was when our, these colonists were, colonies were being formed. And as they were being formed, and they saw that they were oppressed by, uh, by Britain, they, and they made the decision to declare their independence, at that time, they knew after they won that war of independence, that they had to establish some kind of government for them so that some enemy would not come in and take them over again. And so they, they, they had studied different governments at the time. And this, this group came together and they said, let's use the Bible as our compass in forming this government. So one-third of our constitution is based upon Scripture. And then uh, with our, our Bill of Rights or, and with all of it, they were guided by the moral principles of God's word. It's interesting because, you know, nowadays so many want to get away from that. But, you know, that's what they were guided by. Those founding fathers, they had a relationship with God and had a relationship with Jesus Christ. They knew there's no way we can win, we can do anything without God's help. We are a nation that is under God. 
And I want to just give you a, a few quotes because this is important. This is not in your history books in public schools today because it was removed. Because there was a, a desire to get rid of anything of God or Jesus or Christianity of, uh, in our public school education regarding our history. George Washington, our first president, he said, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. There you go. Our first president said that. Sometimes people are trying to make our founding fathers like they were some, you know, uh, drunks and, you know, people that didn't, you know, really live right. I want you to know they were humans. But I'll tell you this, they believed in Jesus Christ and they believed in God and they believed in the Bible. John Adams, second second uh, president, he said this, the general principles upon which our fathers achieved our independence were the general principles of Christianity. Yeah, so he states it right there. Benjamin Franklin, some people say, oh, Benjamin Franklin, he was not a, a Christian. You know, Benjamin Franklin, he was a deist. He didn't believe. Well, let me just read you his quotes, all right? Benjamin Franklin said, here's my creed. I believe in one God, the creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence and that he ought to be worshiped. Yeah. And then later he, he, he spoke about uh, God governs in the affairs of men. If a spirit can't fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable an empire can rise without his aid? And then he says, it's, it's in the sacred writings that except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that do build it. I firmly believe this. I believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel if we do not worship God, if we do not let God guide us. You know, he was influenced by evangelist George Whitfield. And Whitfield, uh, he liked Whitfield so much because Whitfield was so bold and so uh, passionate in his relationship with Jesus Christ and in his preaching. And Benjamin Franklin would have him come and stay with him whenever he was coming through. And then he would put his sermons in his, in his uh, newspaper. And so uh, after George Whitfield died was when uh, Ben Franklin wrote in his journal, he said, my friend is now gone. And he does, he's not able to see this, that I have accepted Jesus into my heart as Savior. So Ben Franklin did get saved. Praise God. But all along, he was being witnessed to, and all along, he did believe. He did believe. Now, what happened was, in that time frame, that our, while France was having a, a, a revolution of immorality, we were having a revolution of morality, so to speak. We were establishing our country upon that. And so as they established it, it's interesting because in the, uh, in our Congress, the U.S. Congress in 1782, they voted that the Holy Bible be used in all our schools, in all of our schools. So for over a century, it was used in all of our public schools. In 1892, the Supreme Court, our U.S. Supreme Court said, our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And to this extent, our U.S. civilization and our U.S. institutions are emphatically Christian. This is why we've got to get our Supreme Court justices back to the Bible. Yeah. Because they've been influenced by that humanistic cultural relativism so much so that, you know, they have rejected the authority of God, many of them. But thank God that there are, we are, as we're praying, I believe God is turning hearts in this hour. So how did we get, how did America get away from this? Well, I'll tell you. In the, in, in um, 1940, in 1947, I believe it was, 1947, the Supreme Court ruled to stop prayer in our public schools. They would always have prayer every day in the public schools, in every classroom, every teacher did prayer. But so they, they ruled to put that out. Then in 1963, our Supreme Court voted to remove Bible reading. And they said, it could be psychologically harmful to children if certain portions of the New Testament were read without an explanation. Are you kidding me? 
we got some psychologically damaged people right now because it was taken out. Researchers say, researchers have proven that our crime increased after the Bible reading was taken out. I remember when Bible reading was in schools. I was in public school at that time. We would have prayer and Bible reading and Pledge of Allegiance every morning. And, uh, and so when, when that happened, uh, crime increased over the next years since that time. Uh, teen pregnancy increased. Uh, alcohol consumption increased. Drugs came in and went rampant. And so all of these other things came in when we rejected the authority of God and his word in our country. So when we get back and we think about how, how why, why? Well, because, because we had a small group of people that were trying to be the, the voices for a large group of people, all of us, you know? And so now... America, I believe, is starting to wake up again. We're starting to wake up and we're going to say, hey, we, we're, we're being pushed in a corner because many Americans are saying, you know what, I, I don't like this. I don't like the direction that we've been going morally. And I'm ready for us to get back, get back to where we've been. And so uh, that's where our prayers are right now. But I, I thought about how that, um, how do people allow this to, how did people allow this to happen? Well, here's an, an, an interesting uh, thought. In, in Europe, in 1926, uh, Adolf Hitler wrote the book Mein Kampf. And when he wrote that book, he put in it the propagandist technique to uh, sway an entire nation of people. And he called it the big lie. And this technique was, if you tell such a colossal lie, and you repeat it over and over and over and over and over again, it gets to the point where at first maybe people might reject the lie, but then they hear you say it over and over. They hear other people chime in with you, and they begin to hear it over and over. Ultimately, they believe it. And so he propagated this big lie that the Jewish people were responsible for World War I. And that it was Jewish people, rich Jewish people in Britain and the U.S. and, uh, and in another uh, country, I think it was France. Anyway, that they were the reason for World War I. And that they also, this plotting, this, uh, that the Jews were plotting to exterminate Germans. So in defense, German, Germany had to start annihilating Jews. Not only in Germany, but they had to annihilate them internationally. And do you know what? Nations stood by and watched it happen or heard it, but they didn't, want to, they didn't want to get involved. And so the big lie swept and the Holocaust took place. Millions, millions killed mercilessly because they, people believed the big lie. It's sad, isn't it? Why do people lie? You know, it's very important that we understand that, you know, as we're embracing the truth of God's word, we have to admit that there, there are times that people lie. I mean, we've all lied at some time. In fact, stats say that 60% of Americans lie or admit that they lie. In fact, another stat says that if you go online dating, get this, 90% lie on their profiles. I don't go online dating. I don't do that. But I'm just saying. <laughs> Be careful, you guys. But but why do people why do people get into lying? Well, one reason is fear. People lie because of fear. We've all at, at some time felt fearful and 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 maybe said something wasn't quite true because of fear, fear of being punished or fear of, of something happening. But when we do, we have to repent. We have to say, God, I don't want that in my life. But fear, Sarah in Genesis chapter 18, there was, an, there was angels that came to Abram and said, okay, Abram, now that you're 100 and Sarah's 90, you're going to have your baby now. 
They'd been waiting 25 years, you know, since he had said that before. So Sarah's outside the tent listening, and she starts laughing. The angel walks around the tent and says, you were laughing, weren't you? She says, no, I, I wasn't laughing. And it says in the scripture, she feared. And that was why she lied. And the angel said, you were laughing. And the baby's name's going to be Isaac, which means laughter. And so, uh, so anyway, God had the last laugh. <laughs> but the point was that she lied for fear. Fear of being caught. Fear of what might, the angel might do to her. He wasn't going to do anything mean to her. It's just that he called her on it. He called her on her lie. Many times the Holy Spirit will convict you of things. Let me encourage you, listen to that conviction. Whatever it is, repent. Don't hang on to it. Don't let it slide. The more you let things slide, a lie slide here or there, the more it becomes a habit and it becomes easier for you. I remember when my son John was seven years old and I was walking by his room one night. We'd had our family devotions, put him to bed. And, and let me just say this, you need to embrace truth, not only for your personal life, but, but for your family too. If you're parents and you've got kids, you need to have family devotions every night with your kids. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just tell a story, read a story, and then pray. My son was telling me, Mom, I remember when we had our friends over, we were like in high school, and Dad said, okay, it's family devotion time. And he said we were kind of going, oh, brother, we got our friends here. We're teenagers now. And so Billy Joe turned the TV off, and he said, okay, we're going to have our family devotions, then y'all can go back. So we, we had our family devotions. He shared a story, and then he had everybody pray. Later, his friend said, you know what? That really meant a lot to us, that, you, that your dad did that, that he stopped us and he took the time to do it. Many times we get intimidated. We get intimidated by our own kids. Don't let that be. Start when they're little and, and just let them pray out loud and, and let them have a part in the devotions. But anyway, um, I was walking by John's room. He was seven years old and I could, I could hear him crying, sniffling. I said, John, what are you crying about? He says, Mom, do liars go to hell? I said, well, Revelations 21 does say that. But that's habitual liars. That's people that embrace lying and make it a lifestyle. And I said, because you have a heart for God, John, you can just repent. And Jesus said he'll forgive you immediately. And so I said, do you want to pray a prayer with me? He said, yeah. So we prayed. He, he asked Jesus to forgive him. And so then I said, now, because uh, he told me what had happened. And I said, do you want me to go to your teacher for you to tell her that you're going to talk to her tomorrow? Yes, ma'am. So I, I did. And what had happened was at school that day in class, he had picked his nose. And he had eaten what he picked. And the teacher saw it. And she said, John, did you just pick your nose and eat that? And he said, no, ma'am. What would you have said? At seven years old, you got caught. You know, you're afraid. And so anyway, she said, so I, call, I went to her the next day. I said, I need to let you know, John, uh, you know, he repented last night because he had lied to you. And I said, he's going to be talking to you today, but I wanted to prepare you for it. She said, I don't even remember it. I said, yeah, okay, well, he's going he's gonna to talk to you. Why is it important to correct what you lie about? Because it helps you not to do it again. And I find that when people don't try to correct things, now, sometimes you can't correct some situations because you don't see those people again. So you just have to say, Lord, forgive me, and then go on. But you know what? When you, when you have an opportunity, try to correct things so that you don't end up doing it again. You know, another reason why people lie is because they want something bad enough. Ananias and Sapphira are in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, New Testament. And in Acts 5, it talks about how Ananias and Sapphira, well, they had been, um, you know, they had seen other people sell their lands, bring their money at the, to the apostles, and the apostles recognized those people before the other people of the church. They liked that. They wanted recognition. And so they said, We've sold our land. We're giving all of this to the, to the church. 
So they, they, when they got there, though, it wasn't that much. And so Peter, the apostle Peter, he, he, he asked him, now, is this what you, uh, you know, sold your land for and you're giving? Oh, yes, Ananias said. He dropped dead. He dropped dead. Now, I'm not saying you're going to lie and drop dead, but I'm just saying, you know what? Don't push things. <laughs> Sapphire comes along. He says, is this what y'all said you were going to give? And, and this is, you know, this is what. She said, oh, yeah, yeah. What? She dropped dead. Now, what was the deal? They were wanting the money. They wanted to keep the money, but they wanted recognition at the church. And, you know, sometimes people will make promises that they're going to do something, and then they don't follow through with it, and they think that nobody knows, and that they're getting away with it, and they're able to do whatever they want to do. And, 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 and so let me just encourage you in this, that whenever you lie to God, that sooner or later it's going to catch up with you. Now, I'm not saying you're going to die, but I am saying it will catch up with you. What you sow, you reap. It comes back towards you. Somebody else will lie to you. And, uh, and so, you know, why, why go there? Why not just say, Lord, I want to be a truthful person. I want to not only embrace the truth of your word, I want to I embrace truth in my life. I want to be a truthful person. You know, sometimes we all have moments where we've said, like somebody says, you know, to a lady, you know, or the lady says, do you think I'm fat? And somebody else say, oh, no, you're not fat. When you know good and well, she's overweight. My husband was so sweet. I would say, honey, do I look fat in this? He said, he'd say, oh, honey, you, you always look amazing to me. He would know. He would know. Say that because that way you're not lying. You always look amazing to me because he loved me. See, even when I was fluffier than other times. Sometimes we, we say things like, you know, how are you doing? Somebody says, oh, I'm fine when really they're going through real difficult circumstances. They're not fine. Now, it's a different thing when you confess what God says. Because sometimes people have asked me, how are you doing? And I'm not doing real well. But I will say, you know what? I'm grateful. I'm answering them according to my faith. Because I'm grateful that God's Word is still the same and it's still working in my life. Praise God. I want you to know that you have to also understand that sometimes people, they become compulsive liars. This lady in our church years ago, her name was Linda, I remember sitting down with her, she was gonna, she wanted to become a leader. So me and another staff member, we, we sat down together and I just said, Linda, you know, some other people around you have said that you've been telling some stories that are way, way beyond uh, true. And I said, um, they even called your family members because they were concerned because you have some big stories. And, uh, and the, your family members said that you, it would have been a habit for you. And so I said, I wanted to ask you, have you ever gone to someone for counseling for this? Have you ever uh, reached out to a, a, a doctor for this? Well, yeah, she said, I've been to Dr. So-and-so. I said, well, what did Dr. So-and-so say? She said, he told me I was a compulsive liar. I said, well, what did you say to him? She said, I told him it wasn't true. I said, you know what? I think it's good for you right now just to assist in your connect group rather than lead a connect group. And then, you know, over time, you know, maybe you can get to that place. Now, I remember uh, I was thinking about how that, you know, sometimes people, they've, they've given themselves over, they need deliverance. Don't be afraid to ask for prayer. Don't be afraid to, to get deliverance because God wants you free. We have people in our church that have embraced the truth of God's Word, and so much so that they've chosen to believe that God could deliver them from anything. And this is the, the next point I'm getting to, and as I'm closing, this is what I want you to, to hear, is that you can embrace the truth of God's Word and change your life. If you've, been, if you've had a problem in some area, an addiction in some way, a wrong habit in some way, you can embrace the truth of God's Word and it can free you. We have people in this church that have been delivered from lying, that have been delivered from pornography, that have been delivered from homosexuality, that have been delivered from uh, their marriages falling apart, adultery, fornication. We've, we've, ha we've had people delivered from drugs, from alcohol. 
Why? Because they got honest with themselves. And then they got honest with somebody else. And they made a decision to take the Scripture, the Word of God, and begin to speak that over their lives instead of what things were, instead of what it looked like. Do you know you can even overcome offense with the Word of God? Because Psalms 119, 165 says uh, that offenses, if you will love the Word, if you will love the law of God, then you will not be offended. I'm telling you, when you love the Word, I've walked through many offenses. I've walked through many tests and trials and taken the Word of God, and I've seen God help me walk it out and help me overcome. You know, I think about when my husband passed, I could have fallen apart because people do that. You know, a lot of times they fall apart emotionally. I cried the first day or two, you know, third day, I started hearing God talk to me. And, and I began to hear the voice of God. Did I have tears come to my eyes at other times? Yes. When people would share a touching story with me about Billy Joe, tears would come to my eyes, but it'd leave just real quick because my, I, was, I was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is, here's the thing is, the Holy Spirit is John 16, 13. He's the Spirit of truth. He'll guide us in all truth. But the Holy Spirit was still in me and He was still there to guide me, but He was also there in the sensitivity too. And so I was still sensitive, but you know, I was not broken down. And so God's word would speak to me every day when I would, I would read the word. And even sometimes just word would come back to me that I had heard. And I remember, I remember uh, years ago when my husband and I, we had, we had really had radical salvations in the Jesus movement. And uh, we started reading the Bible every day. And, and, uh, and I remember I first started out just reading the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs for the first two years. And then I moved over into the Old Testament as well. And I heard someone share about how reading through the Old Testament and the New Testament in a consecutive Bible reading plan would help you have a good worldview and a right perspective of life. And so I began to do that. And so year after year, we've been doing that. We've created a Bible reading plan. In fact, you can, you can go online and look it up on our Victory apps that we have a Bible reading plan. You can read through the Bible in one year. You can listen to it audio as well. But we also have it printed out. But we began to see that those who embraced the Word of God, that God would help them through difficult tests, through difficult times, that Word would talk to them. It would be brought back to their minds because the Holy Spirit brings back to your mind Scripture, Word that you've heard before in your difficult times. Then I remember as a, as a church, we walked through some testing times and, and oh, I wanted to tell people. There were some lies that were being said and I, I wanted to tell people and the lawyers would say to me, you can't talk, you cannot say anything. And I'd have to go back to the Word. Oh God, your Word is my refuge. Your Word is gonna help me get through this and help us get through this. And you know what? God took us through. Then when I transitioned to my son, you know, I could have said, I'm pretty comfortable right here being pastor. I don't think I'm going to transition. But God had already talked to me. God had said, you're to transition to him. And when I did, I, I had to find my identity was not in, in my uh, title. My identity was in Jesus. And see, that's what, what the Word does. It helps you get your identity in Jesus. People that have walked free in this, in this congregation from uh, alcohol or from drugs or, you know, from sexual sins, they've had to find their identity in Jesus. They've had to, and the only way you can do that is crack the book. you got to get this book in you. you got to begin to read it, study it, meditate it. When we first started reading ours, we took scriptures out and we would put them on a, we'd fr we framed them next to our mirror in the bathroom so that every day we saw those scriptures, we'd say them to ourselves. I'm the body of Christ. Satan has no power over me. I overcome evil with good. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I thank you, Lord, I have the mind of Christ. You've not given me the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Today, Lord, I thank you. I'm led by the Spirit because I'm a, I'm a daughter of God. I began to, you know, all of that would come back to me because I'd been putting it in me for a long time. And it still comes back to me when I pray and when I, when I talk to other people. Scriptures start to come back to me. You know what? Hosea 4.6 says this, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Sometimes people stop right there. But the rest of it says, for 
not only lack of knowledge, knowledge, but rejected knowledge and for forgotten knowledge. Sometimes people start out and they've got the knowledge of the Word, they're getting it, and then they think, oh, I can coast a while on what I've been reading. I don't need to read the Bible. I'm okay. You know, and they forget. And what happens? The devil comes and hits them. And they're, they're, they're knocked off of their feet. And then other people rejected knowledge. They, say, they hear it. They hear Like I'm preaching to you right now. They hear it, but they just say, I don't need that. I'm okay. You know, they reject it. But they, then they have tests. They don't know what to do. A, a couple in our church, the cousins, Brent and Caroline, I'm going to close with this. Brent and Caroline, their son, Jonathan, who's now an adult, but at that time he was 13 years old. Uh, Caroline was an oncologist nurse. They noticed something wrong with his knee. He had noticed it. Went to the doctor. He had cancer, a massive cancer in his knee. Now, Jonathan was a runner. He was on the track team. And so uh, when, when the doctor showed this x-ray, they didn't want the doctor to tell Jonathan. So they were the ones that heard it. And, and, uh, and Caroline, she knew, as a doctor, she knew what it meant. And then the doctor told her and Brent, apart from Jonathan, we may have to amputate. Folks, that's not good news. And so I remember uh, Brent and Caroline, they made a decision that they were gonna put scriptures up all over their house. They just you know, made some posters of scriptures and stuck them everywhere. And they began to call Jonathan, Jonathan New Knees. And they were telling him, Jonathan, you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. The word was sent to heal you and deliver you from all destruction. They had those scriptures all around the, the, the house. Now, John, they would have him speak it. Jonathan, we're all gonna speak this. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm redeemed from the curse of sickness and disease, sin, poverty, fear, doubt, worry, confusion. I'm redeemed from that. The blood of Jesus set me free. And they would have these scriptures. And, and as they confessed it, over a period of time, just a few months later, you know what happened? They went back to the doctor for an x-ray. The doctor showed the x-ray. He said, I'm going to show you that x-ray. I'm going to show you this one because there is no cancer in this x-ray. So what am I saying? I'm saying when you embrace the Word of God and you start speaking it, it's supernatural. The Word of God is alive. It's not a dead book. It's alive. It can change your life in any area. It can change a marriage. It can change your child. It can change, it can change your finances. It can change your circumstances. When you get the scriptures on that area, you start speaking it. I have the peace of God. I'm not, a, I'm not led by mental torment. See, when you start taking the, the scriptures and you declare the truth of God's word is higher than even the truth of circumstances. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Victory. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.